Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. We are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual journey and look forward to helping you discover God's plan for your life. To find more messages like this, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast feeds. To stay connected with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the handle CCGF01 and check out our website, ccgf.org, for all of this information and more. Now, here is this week's message, Grace and Peace to You. Today we're going to continue in our series called Meant for Good. Our passage is found in Genesis chapter 39, verses 7 through 23. The title of our sermon is called Falsely Accused. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you and praise you for who you are. And I would just ask right now that you'd forgive me and cleanse me of any sin. And that you'd fill me with your spirit. And you would speak through me to your people. And we as your people, we wouldn't be just hearers of your word, but we would be doers of it. And you wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Pastor Craig taught us last week that Joseph in chapters 37 and 38 experienced rejection, abuse, and abandonment by his brothers. In chapter 39, Joseph will experience being falsely accused, abandoned again, and forgotten. And I'm absolutely amazed at how Joseph responds to these horrific experiences. Regardless of how he was treated, he refuses to become resentful, bear a grudge, or succumb to bitterness. Instead, he does not become bitter, a bitter person. He becomes better. And not only better, he's someone who is richly blessed by God. You know, I've been in ministry for 33 years, and I've literally had number numbers of people who have come into my office, and they have been in identical situations. For example, there was two young girls that came to my office years ago, and they were renting a room in a house together. So they were, if you will, college roommates. And the two of them, because they were roommates, were going through the exact same experience. However, they did not respond to their experience the same way. One of the girls responded very negatively to God and to her circumstances. Why? Because she didn't, she didn't have a deep understanding of the scriptures. Therefore, she had a very distorted view of God. And because of this, she became bitter. Bitter towards God, bitter towards the people who were involved in the situation. However, the second young girl had an accurate view of God because she had a deep understanding of the scriptures. Because she understood who God was correctly, she understood her circumstances and herself correctly. And she responded very positively to her circumstances. And she came out of the whole experience better and blessed. And what is the difference between these two girls? One knew the scriptures and had a right view of God, and the other one didn't. In spite of Joseph's horrific experiences, he refuses to become resentful, bear grudge, or succumb to bitterness. Why? Because he had a right understanding of God and therefore had a right understanding of who he was in the world in which he lived. So because of his experiences, he's not bitter. He's better and blessed. And why do I say this? Because the key verse of Joseph's life is found in Genesis 50, 20. After all these horrific experiences, this is what he says. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. 
When I read this verse, I immediately thought of Romans 8, 28, which says, all things work together for good for those who love God. And the key words are, for those who love God. So what does this verse mean? This verse means it is a promise for those who love God, not for those who don't. So so today, whether you have experienced abandonment, rejection, or you've been forgotten or falsely accused, let's learn from Joseph how we can be better and blessed rather than bitter when life comes to us hard. Before we get into the passage, let me remind you that Joseph is the son of Jacob. He has 11 brothers and one sister. And Joseph's family had a lot of problems. They were extremely dysfunctional. One of the major problems was Jacob favored Joseph, and and it caused his older brothers to despise him and hate him. So much so that they made a plan to kill Joseph. But instead of murdering him, they beat him up and sold Joseph as a slave, and he was, brought, he was bought by an Egyptian man named Potiphar. We pick up the story in Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. And it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Joseph is sold to Potiphar. And the scriptures tell us that Potiphar is the captain of the guard. He's in charge. He's the captain of an elite military group of men. But also the Jewish historian Alfred Eldershein describes the group by telling us that Potiphar was the chief of the executioners. So no matter what title you give him, Potiphar was nobody to fool around with. He was a man of seasoned military experience with power over life and death. And this was a major change for Joseph because his father Jacob treated him with kid gloves. Joseph, remember, was his favorite. So living with Potiphar would have been a major adjustment for Joseph. But in Genesis 39, 2 through 6, it tells us the reason Joseph was, Joseph was so successful in Potiphar's house. Verse 2 says, The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. That's why he was successful, everybody. So that he prospered and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the house of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care, and Joseph in charge, with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So Joseph goes, if you will, from the pit to the penthouse. Why? Because the Lord was with him. His sovereign God had given him favor with Potiphar. So much so that even though he was a slave, he becomes successful. Just imagine, from a common slave to running the household of the top military man in Egypt. But he not only was in charge, but he was blessed. And because he was blessed, So was his master, Potiphar. 
So it's in this setting, in this setting where Joseph goes from a slave to being in charge of the whole household, where they are all experiencing blessing and prosperity. It's in this setting where temptation is introduced. And here is the warning. The warning here is not for someone, someone who is down and out, but for those who are experiencing success and prosperity. And what we learn from this story is this. When you experience success and prosperity, you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable. So be aware. In verses 6 through 9, it says this. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he, ref he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master was, has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? How could this red-blooded young man in his 20s say no? Because he knew his life was an open book before his God. By now, Joseph's God had become more real to him than anyone or anything else in the earth. He had seen God deliver him out of the pit, and now he was in the penthouse. He knew who kept him. He knew who delivered him. He knew where the success was coming from. So he responds to Potiphar's wife and says, no, for two reasons. First, his loyalty to Potiphar. He says to Potiphar's wife, my master trusts me. He has given me responsibility for everything he owns. The only thing that is not mine is you, his wife. I could never betray his trust. Why is Joseph loyal to Potiphar? Because of his second reason. And his second reason is his loyalty to God. He says, how could I do this, this great evil, and sin against God? Now, you would think that Potiphar's wife would stop pursuing Joseph, but she doesn't. Mrs. Potiphar refuses to take no for an answer. She wasn't about to be ignored. She pressed Joseph day after day after day. Look what it says in verse 10. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Mrs. Potiphar could care less about the sanctity of her marriage or the trust between her husband and Joseph or about Joseph's faith in God. She wanted him and she wanted him now. Look what it says in verse 11. One day he went into the house to attend his duties and none of the household servants was inside. Let me st stop right here. It doesn't tell us why the servants weren't there. But I'm pretty confident to say that Mrs. Potiphar has removed the other servants because she's setting a trap for Joseph. Verse 12, she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. That statement, come to bed with me, is not a request. It's a commandment. She's speaking to Joseph as her slave. She's expecting him to obey her command. And what does Joseph do? but he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. 
Let me say something here about temptation. What I'm about to say right now, it's so profound, I hope you can handle it. When we are facing temptation, here it is, run. (laughs) Run. I love what Jim Elliott says. Don't put yourself in a position to see how good your resistance is. When you feel temptation, get out of there. We need to be like Joseph. When it comes to temptation, we need to be cowards. We need to run. Listen, what all of us need to understand is what Joseph understands. When you're tempted, run, flee, leave your jacket, and don't come back for it. We need to have a holy fear when it comes to temptation. Some of you need to leave your jacket. I'm talking to those of you who are already in a wrong sexual relationship. I'm speaking to those of you who are playing around the edge and asking how far is too far. I'm talking to some of you who are becoming emotionally involved with someone and you know it. I challenge you before the day is over to leave your jacket, run, flee, don't go back, don't turn around, Don't leave your forwarding address. Don't text, don't Facebook, don't do anything. Run. Turn your face towards Jesus and become the man or woman that God has intended you to become. Listen, as I represent the pastors, please run. Verse 13 says, when she saw that he had, when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, She called her household servants, look, look. She said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And this is not a scream of someone who has been raped. This is a scream of someone who's enraged. Joseph refused her advances and she feels rejected. So she wants to retaliate. To accomplish this, she, she built a false case against Joseph using a piece of, of circumstantial evidence, his robe. Look at what it says in verses 16 through 20. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. When she told him this story, that Hebrew slave you brought, brought us came to, came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, He left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Joseph was absolutely innocent, but the circumstances were against him. Potiphar's wife had both his robe as evidence and her position in the house And she used both to falsely accuse him and Joseph lands in jail. Let me stop right here and say, my guess is that Joseph isn't Mrs. Potiphar's first. My guess is that we're dealing with a card-carrying cougar here. Let me say this. This woman isn't ugly, by the way. This This is a guy who's in the top military position, and he got to choose who his, who his wife would be. She's been here before, and she knows how to move in for the kill. 
This isn't her first rodeo. And my guess is that Potiphar wasn't ignorant about her indiscretions. Remember, he's the captain of the guard, the man who is paid to know everything going on in the kingdom. Listen, he knew what was going on in his own house. He knew it. So, she, so he's angry. But I'm guessing he's more angry at the fact that he's losing his number one guy because his wife is trying to fool around again. And the reason I believe this is because in those times when someone was accused of rape, the penalty was death, not prison. Remember, this was a military guy. He would have had no problem executing his enemies. Also, Joseph is put in the king's prison. This is not death row. This is not a maximum security. It's a minimum, minimum security prison. So Potiphar has really extended mercy to Joseph because he understands he's falsely accused. But let me say this before we pick up the story. Let me say this. It's one thing to be judged falsely. It's another thing to know that the judge knows that you've been accused falsely and still accuse you. That's hard to take. But let's pick up the story in verse 21. The Lord was with Joseph. Hear that. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Did you hear that last statement? The Lord was with Joseph and he gave him success in whatever he did. The Lord's hand was on Joseph and the response by, and he responded by trusting and obeying God. So instead of becoming bitter, he served God above all else. And the result, God blessed him and prospered him in even prison. Amazing. So what's jo what, what, what does Joseph learn from his experiences? He learns that God will bless him in all situations. Why? First, because God is with him. And second, since God, since God is with him, he will take what is meant for evil and turn it to his good. And because Joseph has learned this, he chooses in every situation to doubt in the dark what God had already shown him in the light. When he was in his father's home, he was being blessed. God was with him. When he was being thrown into the pit by his brothers, God was with him. And when he was taken to Potiphar's house and became successful and prosperous, God was with him. And when he was betrayed and falsely accused and thrown into prison, God was with him. Joseph learned that because God was with him, he would bless him in both prosperity and in adversity. So let me apply this to us today. What do we learn from Joseph so that we don't become bitter, but that we become better and blessed? Number one, God is with us in every situation. We learn that God will bless us in both prosperity and in adversity. When things are going well, God is with us. When things are going bad, God is with us. One thing you can count on in life, and that's change. Your circumstances will change, even though they change for the better or the worse, 
God's abiding presence will always be with you. God is with you always. He will never, no, never leave you. He will never abandon you. Your family, your friends, your spouse, your parents, your kids, your employer, your employees, they may abandon you, but God will never. He is the Emmanuel, God with us always. And because God is with us, number two, God will take what was meant for evil and he'll turn it to our good. So if you're facing a a difficult situation today with your friends, a spouse, maybe a brother or sister, your kids, you lost your job, maybe you're in a situation where you're feeling forgotten or abandoned. Maybe you've applied for something and you're facing rejection, or you're being falsely accused. I want to remind you today that God is with you, and because he's with you, he can take what is meant for evil and turn it around for your good. But there's something we need to do. We need to respond. We need to respond by trusting and obeying God. That was the key for Joseph. Let me remind you what it says in Romans 8.28. All things work together for good for those who love God. The promise here is that it will work together, not for everyone, but for those who love God. If you will respond to your situation like Joseph did, by trusting and obeying God's promise to turn what was meant meant for evil and turn it for your good. Joseph is the perfect example. He is the poster boy of this promise. You know, many of us can relate to Joseph. But there might be some of us who relate more to Potiphar's wife. You know? You know that you're living in sin. You know it. And I want to remind you this morning that Jesus Christ came to die on a cross for those of us who have sinned. He died for Potiphar, for Joseph. He died for Joseph's brothers, for Jacob. And he died for Potiphar's wife. He died for all of us, which means he died for you. And then when he died on that cross, he made it possible for each and every one of us who puts our faith in him to be forgiven. And then he walked out of the grave. He's made it possible for you and for me to have a relationship with him so that we can know that we're forgiven and that we have eternal life. If you're listening to me, and you're wondering if you can be forgiven, you can be. Jesus Christ so loves you. He gave his life so that you could be saved. So how can you get saved? How can you know that you're forgiven? By responding and committing yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turning from your sin and turning to him. If you're willing to turn around and make a commitment to Jesus Christ, turn from your sin and turn to him, He'll save you, he'll forgive you, and you'll begin a brand new relationship with him. If you'd like to do that, just pray this prayer with me. Now, the prayer doesn't save you, Jesus does, but you need to respond. So if you'd like to pray, pray with me, please. Just just think and see Jesus standing there, because he is. He's alive. We're not talking about a religion, we're talking about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's alive and he loves you. So pray this prayer 
Lord Jesus, I have sinned against you. And I've gone my own way. But I turn from my own way and I turn to you. I commit myself to you. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And I ask you to be my savior. I'm committing my whole life to you. And I would ask right now that you would fill me with your spirit. And that you would transform me. I want to thank you for creating me. But I thank you now that I've just become a child of the living God. Thank you that I'm part of the family of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer with me, would you please text MIRACLE to 474747. Let me say this again. Please text MIRACLE to 474747. And someone from our prayer team will call you and help you as you begin or renew your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, remember, body of Christ, believers, that God is with you in every situation. And he can take what's going on in your life. If you're willing to trust and obey him, he can take what is meant for evil and turn it around for your good. And for those of you that just began a brand new relationship, welcome to the family of God. God bless you and have a great week.